Hey, hey, this is Richie coming at you from the School of Marketing HQ. Before you dive into the show, I just want to tell you about a brand new short 12-week program we've launched called the Giants Marketing Masterclass. The program gives you access to insights and expert comments from over 25 CEOs and CMOs from major companies like Unilever, L'Oreal, M&S, Pret, and WPP, just to name a few. We focus on six key areas of marketing, customer, brand, commercial, creative, channel, and data and analytics. So if you were looking to upskill yourself or your team for just two and a half hours each week and get access to a network with our industry's giants through our live sessions, do check out the School of Marketing website for more deets. Alrighty, for now, enjoy the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another fabulous show of The Places We'll Go with Richie and myself. And we've got another fine guest for you today. So I'm very pleased to welcome to the show Dino Myers-Lamptey. Welcome, Dino. Hi, Mark. Hi, Richie. Uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me this morning. No, fab- fabulous to have you on. Now, I know Dino well. We both sit on the, the Marketing Society board for the last couple of years, so I know, know Dino well. And um, But I'm going to share with everybody else a little bit about Dino, just so you know who we're talking to today. So I, I think it's fair to say Dino's a bit of an agency icon. Yeah, I think it's. I think <laughs> we can say that. Uh, founder of The Barbershop, which for those who don't know, is a strategy-led media creative and tech company that tries to solve the biggest communication challenges, but in a different way. So more creative and collaborative than probably your average agency model. Um, Does have some big clients. TikTok is in there in the mix as well, which is awesome. Um, But there's a lot, lot, lot more to Dino. So he's also co-chair of the Alliance of Independent Agencies, which is a really important body to further the causes and successes of Indies. Uh, as I said, he's on the Marketing Society board. He's also a Marketing Society fellow as of a few months ago. That was a lovely occasion to see Dino anointed and also a UK council member of the FEs. Um, and I would say an all-round good guy. Razor sharp, uh, both intellectually and also stylistically. So I've uh, I've seen D- some of Dino's content outputs are pretty impressive and certainly puts me to shame from a stylistic point of view. He's got the best uh, pick bio or biopic I've I've ever seen. Um, just in terms of Dino's uh, course over time, he was a he started out as a media comm planner, I think, planner and buyer for three years, and then moved into strategy roles. Five years at PhD, also uh, uh, seven stars. Then went on to be MD of Mullen Low Media Hub Digital, one FEs uh, for the most effective agencies two years running, 2016 17. And then, as I said, founded the barbershop four years ago. Um, I'm sure it's not all been perfect along the way. Um, so we'll find out about Dino's story. Uh, and I do like Dino's point of view on the world. So we're going to get a bit of that. So I think you've uh, you've been on many things. You've been on the Radio 4 Media Show relatively recently as well. Um, so I am really pleased to have you on the show, Dino. Welcome. And I hope you are on top form today. Uh, that's a fantastic introduction. Can I take you everywhere I go, Mark, just to uh, repeat that as I walk into rooms? Sold. <laughs> Sorry, Dino. Like, He's, uh, he, he's, he's all mine. He's all mine. So, uh, you know, we're going to have to split his time. But look, Dino, absolute pleasure to have you on. We've been looking and waiting for this moment for quite a while now. So it's great to, to be in the moment here. How are you? How's, how's the last couple of weeks been for you? It's been, it's been a good last couple of weeks. Um, I've done a, quite a lot of things that have been packed in, I think. I had my son's birthday on the weekend. 
Uh, I went off to visit a friend in Zurich who was at Davos, which is a whole nother conversation of things that we could divert into. But uh, we managed to be, um, you know, get up a mountain and, and ski in minus 20 degrees C, which was the uh, coldest I've ever experienced anywhere. Um, and um, luckily enough, you know, I survived that. No frostbite, came back, um, you know, a load of different kind of business things going on, which have been kind of great and exciting. And um, I, I woke up and my toes hurting. So, um, which is, it has been for the last few days. So, you know, it's it's a sign of kind of getting getting on with life. So yeah, great. <laughs> sounds sounds good minus 20 i think uh could could choose to avoid that but let's let's do a shout out for your son so what's your son's name and what did you do for his birthday oh great yeah so my son's name's uh jojo we call him his, his real name is joseph and he's nine years old and we had a little party around our house well what we did is we, we started off i opened up a burger shop at home um he had about 10 kids come over um i basically ripped off five guys and um and allow them to have a uh, you know all, all the different kind of uh, whatever things inside but um you know kids are surprisingly basic in their choices apart from my kids that want it all in but everyone else is like yeah i'll just have the burger with some cheese um but i had all the trimmings and then we went to see puss in boots 2 which cool. was um yeah a great movie and then afterwards we were with a smaller group to give them you know some of them their first uh, taste of sushi in a sushi japanese restaurant which was cool as well so yeah yeah pretty pretty jam-packed um and then you know some kids stayed over stayed up late that was it really oh very cool i'll tell you what i the first time i ever had sushi was when i was about 18 and it seemed like the biggest adventure me and my brother ventured down to uh your sushi in edinburgh and it felt like just the biggest deal ever so so your your son jojo suddenly pipped me to that um almost half my age and and went out it's it's an exciting food set of food yeah. uh, kind of ex- food experience, isn't it? All the different bits and the colors and everything. So, yeah, they're sport. They're really sport. Yeah, wonderful. But look, talking about the likes of Five Guys, I mean, you know, clearly you're an entrepreneurial guy. You know, that's that's part of your nature. Um, so tell us a little bit about the barber shop. Like, well, how did it come about? And um, you know, how you you jump from sort of corporate land into to your own gig as well? Yeah, sure. Um, so, so when I think about the barbershop, I mean, I really have to kind of like think, you know, when I first started my career in the industry, because I think it was always a bit of a dream uh, to at some point or another do my own thing. Um, before getting into the world of marketing, I had done various things, various things at university and before, which were entrepreneurial in the spirit. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's worth mentioning a few of those. I used to run a, you know, with my brother and, you know, a couple of friends, a, a really big outdoor basketball tournament called the Triple Double. And we, we, um, it was in Essex, but uh, it, it, it grew, to, it's still in Essex, but it was the, the biggest outdoor three and three basketball tournament for, for years. And um, that was all just done for charity and fun. You know, we, we, we really did it because we remember going to, you know, Nike and Adidas and Converse, even at first, they used to do outdoor basketball tournaments in Batsy Park. And they just stopped doing it in the 90s. So um, we decided to, to do our own version in South End and Sea. Uh, and we had people coming down from Newcastle and all sorts. But the whole thing was one big kind of entrepreneurial endeavor. You know, it was about um, how could we raise money for, you know, to, to, to put it on. And and we sold advertising the back of T-shirts, for example, the T-shirts that the, the players played in. So little small ads, it was like the classifieds on the back of the T, you know, of a, of, a, of, a, of a kind of standard fruit of the loom kind of shop that was designed by my brother. And um, so, you know, knocking on doors and raising money and all, all the rest of it and trying to get sponsors and then, um, you know, getting volunteers, rallying volunteers to be involved. So, you know, that kind of like kicked off this kind of like 
oh my god you can actually do things you can actually kind of create things in life that your parents haven't teed up for you and then going to university um you know that really continued um we we organized um you know really big club night and you know lots, lots of people know gate crash at the club we we had we organized a tuesday night that was a student night there uh, a night called jigsaw and um you know that was that was an incredible experience as well um i also we also did things like we created a student magazine i was head of advertising of the, of the radio station at some point and um and then in my final year i run for election for a sports sabbatical officer which was, um, you know, you had to do the hustings. It was like a really kind of political kind of position. It was a paid year position in Sheffield University. So, you know, you spent a year, you had a secretary, you had an office. It made you feel like you were doing a real job, but you were still, you know, allowed to go into student bars and still drink and, you know, and, and kind of like run your life a bit on student time. But, um, uh, you know, that was, that was really interesting because it was really managing the finances and the facilities of like, you know, about 30, 40 sports clubs and things like that. So I had this kind of taste for just kind of getting on with stuff and doing you know a version of you know my own thing but um getting into the industry I started my career at the biggest you know media agency which was you know a, a great strategic decision in my mind you know um I had a, a few different choices actually it's, it's probably worth saying you know I, I tried to get into the advertising creative side of the industry first and and all I had was massive rejections you know I, I didn't even have one interview um and and as you you could probably tell my cv was pretty stacked with a lot of things i thought I'm, I'm, at least surely someone would want to kind of at least have a conversation about you know what's going on here or, or at least flag me for like you know you must be lying you couldn't have done all this stuff you know surely but um but uh i didn't even get an interview single interview so um i went on the AP, ipa website and then saw some other jobs advertised for all companies that looked like probably looked more like pharmaceutical companies than they did media or, or creative companies they're all people's initials so you know we know like, like well like media like omd and you know starcom they're all these like weird names um and i applied to a few got a few interviews got a few job offers for, for three very different jobs in the in the media industry you know one was a media planner which i was definitely you know like the sound of the job the most one was a tv buyer and the other one was a press buyer and I actually chose um, the, the the job that didn't sound necessarily the best, but it was with the people that seemed that I had the best kind of feeling from. Um, and that was working at Mediacom. And I started my career as a press buyer. So I started off as a press buyer in Mediacom, which I did for a year. And then I was able to kind of like ask, request, negotiate my way into planning. And then um, and then I spent a couple of years in planning in Mediacom, really looked around the company and saw, you know, the strategy people and I thought oh that's what I really want to do um but there's only a few people that were really in those positions in, in Mediacom in a massive company so um so I made the leap to go to Michael's and Bednash and do strategy there and and I think that you know and this is this all leads to why I started the barbershop because you know I'd worked at a really big organization a really successful organization at that time of the you know the 2002 2003 around that time um you know the whole industry was about growth and about size about scale and that's what buying and media was all about. It was about the bigger you are, the better deals you could get, the, the cheaper prices you could get for clients. And you had companies like Zenith being like, you know, the RRI agency. And then that seemed to be the only thing that could work. And I went to work at Mike Leeds and Bednash, which was big around the millennium, but, but, um, and had some great accounts. You know, we worked on Channel 4, Launch More 4, you know, E4 Music, all sorts, brought Film 4 free to air. There's lots of great stuff that happened in that period of time. However, it was a time when they were shrinking as, a, as, a, as an organization. They were sitting in this kind of weird gap of strategy that was neither neither kind of doing the buying or doing the creative, um, but they were briefing out all those kind of parts. And I think that a lot of um, bigger agencies got wise to, well, we've got to do more of what they're doing. 
and you know save money with our scale and all the rest of it so they were being squeezed um and it was it was a difficult period of time um for all involved there but um but it was a you know an incredibly immense and intense period of learning and <laughs> being thrown in lots of different scenarios um but uh but i think that at that point and the significance was starting to bubble at that point i pretty much decided that it was impossible to to do my own thing and to create you know a, a business that would be successful in the in the marketing industries because they were an example of a business that was strong but was shrinking because it was being crowded out by the really big kind of growing large global organizations and um and then i went to work for phd and and rocket and um you know i worked for important i worked for rocket which was kind of sister agency joined at the hip to phd because i still wanted to have that element of small you know a bit more kind of responsibility and control um doing things slightly differently having a bit more kind of input into the running of the company um but uh but pretty much at that time i was i was convinced that you know it wasn't it wasn't really going to happen to do my own thing and um but it was that the story of the seven stars was the thing that really kind of changed my mind about that because against almost like it seemed like against the grain there was a company that was growing that was that I was hearing about and that was winning you know the odd, odd award in places and then I was contacted by a headhunter that I kind of knew and trusted because he he'd only ever got in contact with me about four and a half years later before when I was leave, leaving um Michael Leeds and Bednash and he, and he and he got in contact with me about a job that I, I very nearly took that I was would have been you know on paper um the best job for 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 whatever the 25 year old whatever whatever age I was at the time which was to work for Wyden Kennedy in Amsterdam and that was to work on Nike um uh Heineken I think it was or Carlsberg I think and also um EA Games so it was um it was sport <laughs> booze and gaming and uh, you know which is absolutely incredible um and I actually you know went over there and I, I met um Tim Kennedy and the team and it was like the best experience ever I was so kind of convinced but um life and circumstances weren't ideal at the time my my um wife now girlfriend then was doing her architecture course still you know seven eight year whatever course it was and hadn't quite completed it we were buying a house and there's all these kind of complications going on where I was thinking about oh I'm gonna have to commute Monday to Friday Amsterdam that there that, that's possible um anyway and they procrastinated quite a bit on on you know just kind of given the proper offer and things like that and at the same time I was um I had um interviews with Rocket and MEC for which I got two job offers and I was being pressured for a decision and I actually chose Rocket um so so at, at that point um you know I I I I, I what so so back to the whole seven stars thing I was contacted by that same recruiter and he and he said um you know here's a here's a, here's a great opportunity I think you'd be perfect for it they kind of you know reputation in buying they're really strong there which surprised me because they were a small, relatively small agency. And they said, but they need um strategy and they haven't really got a strength for strategy. They want to grow and build a strategy department. So I so I entertained it and um and met met the founders and, and was inspired by the founders and then uh and then joined and, and then was there for five and a half very successful years of rapid growth and really seeing how the underdogs can really compete and win and and beat and grow, but also for for very sensible reasons that were um the things that really surprised me was they could buy cheaper than the bigger companies you know things had changed you know, the market had changed things had changed quite dramatically things have been bought in a very different way and um and that inspired me a lot to feel like you know yes that there was a possibility of bringing this kind of dream alive and I very much only left the seven stars with a view of doing my own thing but almost um the route along the way and the path was being persuaded by the CEO of Mullen Lowe to come and pretty much do what I'd done with the seven stars to, to Mullen Lowe's media hub and um 
and 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 it was the words um there were two things that kind of flipped it for me really because I had no real reason to leave the seven stars other than I know that if I'd stayed I would have never done my own thing because it was it was almost there was no real reason to leave in a sense and um and and, and the words were he said um, that what's the worst that can happen either in five years time we would have brought back the full service dream you know so we would have brought and connected back creative media technology brought it all back together and we'll be celebrating and singing as heroes um or in two years time it will all have failed and we've decided that you know let's go off and do something else you know and we'll do something else and I was like brilliant I was like well you know he seems to be supportive of this kind of like alternate path if it, if it needs to be that way and I thought that's the kind of you know that's the rod I needed the poke or whatever just to you know you, and I think that you need I've always thought that you know entrepreneurs like really successful entrepreneurs are either like you know at, at one end of the the, the scale in terms of either end of the scale they're either you know it's the last resort and they haven't you know got other options so they've got to just kind of go for it and throw the dice and take that massive risk or that the other end where they they really don't you know the consequences are are not as significant what's the worst that could happen they've got that kind of safety net and um they know they can fail they know they can fail so they do it and they do it with confidence and ease and 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 it makes it successful because you know, in the most successful entrepreneurs that I've worked for, I've seen a a real uh, difference compared to the people that have been employed in big companies in terms of how they make decisions, how they take, you know, kind of rejection and um, setbacks, um, but also how they think forward and how they think, you know, beyond the immediate term and think much more kind of longer term. Uh, and I think that that gives a, a massive kind of advantage in business, basically, the ability to kind of, you know, react and and, and make it, make quick decisions and and uh, and be brave and bold um so yeah so 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 really um you know I, I went I went to the, the company knowing that you know my kind of route and my desire was to do my own thing and then um and then and then the, the other kind of part of the decision was about making me a managing director rather than just the strategy person so I was always you know ever since kind of leading Medicom I always had strategy in my title um and it was really important to me to get exposed to the parts of the business that people wouldn't ordinarily allow you to be exposed to because they were the boring parts or boring, let's say boring, important, you know, people always say, oh yeah, some you know, important parts, whatever, you know, the finance of this or that, which are, they are important, but they're, they're not beyond your capability to learn and understand. Um, you know, they're, they're more kind of shiny, exciting things potentially. Yeah, of course. But, but really um, everyone should be getting an understanding of the boring parts, you know, the, the HR side of things and things like that, the legal side of things. And um, and I think that, you know, just as a, as a general theme throughout our industry, I think one of the big kind of problems and challenges of our industry is it pigeonholes people very, very quickly. And it goes, oh, OK, you need you need three years experience in this or you are this, you are that. Um, and then people just follow that path because they can't get another job because they've only ever done one thing. And they started off as, you know, inquisitive, interesting people that wanted to get into creative industries because of the fact that they are generally, you know, creative, think differently, interested in humans and all sorts but then they're put into a specific side of the industry and told oh they can't they can't they're not allowed to come up with ideas or they're not allowed to do strategy or they're not allowed to do negotiation by and that makes um, us all more weaker as a result of it you know the, the, the way in which we can learn from lots of different people in different departments and and really like in any job the first three months you're going what the hell is going on I don't understand what's going on you know the next the next three months you're going to kind of get this this is this is this is incredible pace I get this and then after that, you're going, you know, what was the big deal? You know, in terms of this is all kind of like knowledge now. Um, and, you know, you're, you're always kind of learning new things, but every, you realize that everyone's learning new things all the time, but it's not this massive daunting, this thing's never been done before. It's how are we gonna, 
how are we going to solve it? And it's all down to you. It's, it's never like that. You've got teams, you've got people, you've got support. And even in the position of being kind of managing director as well, um, you know, I took advice and, you know, if you have a financial person that's on your side, then it, it makes the job a lot easier. If you have a financial person that's not on your side, it makes the job a lot harder. <laughs> so, yeah, um, a long story. <laughs> well, well, dear, I'm, I'm exhausted. Uh, I need to lie down. <laughs> you talk about rocket. I mean, there's a literal <laughs> as well as a metaphorical thing. Um, triple, triple double basketball sounds amazingly fun. Um, of course, you were head of advertising uh, at the, the university, I think radio show. Um, I also was a sports president or sports officer, athletic union officer oh, um, at Nottingham. So I don't know if you know Bonnie Haywood, but she maybe have been a few years yeah, ahead. Yeah, that, that sounds a, very much rings a bell. Yes. 1995 to 96, Bonnie was my offer. Yeah. She was at Sheffield, I was at Nottingham. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, um, you know, great choice to start a Mediacom. And, and shout out to all the folks there that's Mediacom bookend yeah. my career started with Mediacom at Mars and ended at, at Direct Line um you said something really interesting I mean amazing story and trajectory uh and you said something about um entrepreneurs make decisions and recover from setbacks it's different it's a different mode a different pattern of thinking so t- tell us a bit more about what that entrepreneurial decision making and recovery and resilience is from your point of view yeah um you know, I, I think about it quite a lot and um, in terms of, yeah, what is the difference and, and uh, you know, what, what um, you know, when you're in starting the barbershop, um, I thought about founders and I spoke to a couple of people that I wanted to be co-founders, really, because I didn't want to really do the journey alone. And uh, and one of the things that I realized was not a lot of people have that entrepreneurial kind of bone, I guess. Um, and it's that kind of like appetite to take a risk, but not to be kind of too... Um, tied by it and to kind of you know all consumed by it really Um, because I think that it's it's one of those things of um, you know you have to make a lot of decisions that can have a lot of potential kind of impact and you know financial impact financial insecurity and the rest of it and you've got to really kind of like think through what's the worst that can happen Um, but but at some point um, the worst that can happen can be can be pretty bad if you overthink it so you've got to almost stop yourself from thinking about what the worst is going to happen. It's like, well, what's the worst going to happen? Yes, okay, but that's not going to happen, right? So, so you, I think you need to. Um, there's a thing that I that I've kind of like termed, which is, um, well, I've got about four books that I that I that I want to write, and um, and I'm convinced I'm never going to have the time to write them. So I just tell people, you know, like like going to the gym in January or getting a personal trainer and saying, oh, I'm losing weight or whatever, you know, it suddenly makes you feel like you have to do it. Um, but one of the titles of the book is is called Forgettability. They've all got good good names. That's it. That's about the one kind of consistent theme about the books. But it's the ability to forget. Um, and I think that there's a power in almost having a poor memory in a sense of, you know, poor memory for certain things, a poor memory for like, you know, hard times, pain, you know, like suffering, like, you know, the, the, the awful things that can happen. And I think that entrepreneurs share that same same thing, that same kind of asset. Because the ability just to get on with things and go, okay, well, you know, that didn't work, but I'm not going to stop and get hung up by that. I'm going to just do something else. Or next time I'm going to make it work or, or you know, really work out why it didn't work, I think is the really key thing. And I think that the people that I know that um, that I would say are less entrepreneurial, um, you know, think, overthink certain things, think very personally about things, think about how it might affect themselves, their reputation, and then, and go down that spiral of concern when if you have a relatively um poor memory for certain things then i think you kind of like 
you just don't remember the last time it felt bad. Um, and also, I think you you also think that oh, people will remember that, you know, whatever, you know, carry on. Um, and you and, and the thing is as well, I think that you know, going through an experience of, of of bad experiences, you know, like every agency I left or I was at, you know, you could definitely dwell on certain kind of bad experiences even before being in the agency world, but. But in, in hindsight, you always look at them as good experiences in terms of, I mean, not good in terms of they weren't kind of, but they were char definitely character building in some way or form where you learn how to navigate a certain situation or, or you know, that that made you do this thing, which was really weird and different. But but next time that comes it comes along, you know, you're, you're prepared for it, you're ready for it. And I can, I just think of a, of a career and a, and a life when you haven't had those things, you would feel very vulnerable. You would feel very, you know, insecure because you don't know what's going to happen and how you're going to deal with it. And I think um, you have to have those experiences. You have to force yourself to have those experiences when the consequences are not so significant. You know, when you haven't got kids, mortgage, you know, all the rest of it. You got to do it when you when you when you can. Honestly, that's that's um, that's really quite profound in, in in many ways. And I absolutely love the the notion of forgettability. And I think for all of us, you know, as we've probably traversed these last couple of years, have probably a few things that are you know worthwhile. Just thinking about, you know, maybe we need to just put them to the back of our minds and sort of move and brush off. So I, I love that notion. Um, really, really cool. Uh, Dino, I just I want to kind of turn the page a little bit on the conversation. And um, I know how much of a, a champion of diversity you are across our industry, um, like us. And, and the reason why the School of Marketing was founded was very much on that same ilk. And so I'd love to get your point of view. There was a, a recent survey just come out, which was the Marketing Week uh, Career and Salary Survey, which had pretty disturbing stats for me. And, I, and maybe, you've, maybe you've seen it, but the, the upshot was when looking at salaries and average salaries for different, for different ethnic groups, it came out that someone like myself of mixed race um, or someone like yourself um, who's black actually had a significant disadvantage throughout our careers, um, you know, compared compared to white people. And it really upset me and it almost made me take a deep breath and go, can I actually champion this industry anymore when that's the status quo? Can I drive in? Can I truly feel passionate about getting more diverse talent into our industry when actually that's the reality that's going to be faced? And I don't know if you if you have a point of view um, on it or how more generally um, you see the landscape of, of bringing more diverse talent into our space. Yeah, thanks for bringing it up. And um, um, Mark, at the start of this podcast, mentioned quite a few things I'm involved in. And, and something that um, I'm involved in is called Media for All as well. Um, but it's two, two, two other things. I mean, Media for All and Brixton Finisher School as well, which is, you know, very similar to the purpose and point of School of Marketing. Um, and united by trying to get more people into our industry, get more diversity in our industry. And but it's worth me telling the story of Media for All and, and, and kind of like, you know, why, why it exists. Um, so Naren Patel, um, you know, really through talking to a few people, myself and, and others, over the course of, you know, a, a couple of years, probably mainly at awards dues, you know, where everyone's kind of like having a good time and you look around the room and you go, hang on a minute, you know, uh, you know, you can you can spot the diversity very easily because, you know, it's, it's kind of like a sea of colour and, and there's very little differentiation in the colour, um, particularly those that go on stage to collect the awards. And that's one of the things that's always struck me, unfortunately, is because people sometimes celebrate the diversity, but yeah, the awards dues are really um, the people that people choose to take to the functions. They choose, they pick and they go, right, you know, you, this is my team, you know, you, you're gonna come up and celebrate with me. And I think that that's the biggest problem we have in our industry in terms of um, 
it's not necessarily just getting people in, but it's opening the doors and giving them access and providing environments that people, this this term psychological safety can really contribute and be their best. Um, so, so I, I, you know, when people talk about, you know, that the benefit of diversity, so McKinsey, you know, there's, there's not a shortage of reports, you know, like McKinsey reports into diversity and things like that, about, you know, the, the financial benefit of diversity into business. Um, so, so everyone should kind of like agree that that is the case. However, what I say is that, we don't even know the true benefit or true potential because we're in industries where the representation isn't necessarily where it should be in terms of reflective society. So those people that are in it are not necessarily being their full selves and bringing their full selves to the party and to the table. And therefore they're not giving their all. So that company and that, that, that true benefit of diversity is not really even being kind of understood or seen because, because the, the only way that um, most people can understand it easily is when they look at gender, for example, because I think that it's, it's it's very easy for people to know that they are not the other gender, for example. So it's very easy for a male to know that they're not a female and or, or to, to certainly feel different when they're in a room full of females. Um, similarly, a woman to feel different when they're in a room full of males. And that gives you a slight kind of, in, you know, kind of insight into the experience of a woman sitting on a boardroom when there's 10 men or seven men, whatever it is. And there's one woman. And it's only when you work through a certain issue and a certain topic and you go, so, for example, let's say you were, you know, you're, you're in a boardroom and there's this was one female and you're the female and you're talking about maternity benefits. And you think, is that woman going to say truly the same thing that she would say if, if she was in a room that was more balanced, that was 50-50 male, female or the other way around? You know, would the conversation be exactly the same? Would it go in the same way? And the question, the answer is absolutely not. Absolutely not. There's no, there's not a single way it would do, you know, unless she was mimicking and taken on the you know the, the values and the, the, the views of a, of a man and she was basically just kind of reflecting those um which there's a high chance that she would do because that's probably what got her there in the first place um because you know because that's how that door opens and the, and the problem is with our industry is that doors open and people humans humans are flawed in the sense that they they recruit people like them they they want to work with people like them they almost um champion and support people that are almost like um childlike figures you know they see themselves in that person they go oh great you know they're just like me great you know the team was a little special project and that leads to kind of like mentoring and things like that and that's almost like the best mentoring kind of really take someone on in that way but the problem is they you know if, if you if you have one type of person at the top then you just feed in and give opportunities to, to, to similar type people coming through and and the the biggest issue that we have is in the creative industries we should be the biggest you know, flag wavers of, you know, just misfits, different thinkers, different things, different ways of doing things, different approaches, and about the benefits of it. Um, I, 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 I use reference in the analogy of, of our industry is like, um, the music industry is pre 1960 or 59, whatever it is. Um, and, and you might say, okay, what is that? And well, that was the creation of Motown. So, you know, what was music like before? Yeah, music was lovely, you know, but what has music been like since? Um, you know, when you think about what, you know, a, 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 a completely um, diverse organization brought to the, the industry and what it has kind of like since kind of propelled, you know, all the different genres of the different styles, all the different ability for people to create their own things and come out of nowhere and become stars and all the rest of it. You know, it's incredible. We, I mean, we're, we're at that kind of like, you know, early stages of our industry, really, because we haven't had this kind of input of diverse people with the permission to create permission to do things differently permission to really bring themselves to the table and, and, and learn from other cultures and experience and all the rest of it so I think that it's just a, it's just a really dis big disadvantage for our industry so when I look at salary service and things like that, I think it's just a pity and it's a real shame um, I think that on one hand 
um, you know, no one ever really got into our industry through not knowing someone or someone kind of like, you know, helping them in some kind of way. I mean, yes, there are a few exceptional examples. I mean, I did just send my CVs in, but, you know, my, my sister, my cousin, they've all had the help of me going, this is the way to do it or, you know, guiding in some kind of way. And most people have that. Most people have got far in their careers because they've had that kind of help. And um, and when you when you are from a diverse background that, you know, let's face it, your, your parents encourage you to be something of a more of a, of a secure profession. So whether it's medicine or or engineering or you know architecture or something like that, you know, that's what they that's what they encourage you to do because you know for good reasons as well because you've got more job security. You know, there's a there's a progression. There's a you can work anywhere. All the rest of it. So when you're going into a bit more of an experimental place where there isn't this set path, then it's rightful that people are slightly more skeptical about, you know, your progression, how you're going to do in that place. But then people don't know the rules of navigation. So they don't know that when you get in, you're not necessarily going to be treated fairly or paid the amount you deserve unless you bring that negotiation to the table, unless you really do understand your value that you're adding and always make that case, you know. So, so I think it's really important to... Um, have networks like, like like Media for All to help people progress through. We talk about recruit, but also retain and rise to the top as well, which is really important. You can't forget those other elements of it. But but the, the last thing I'd say about this is, is if is if the pay gaps will make you weep, then you wait till they publish the, the bonus pay gaps. Um, you know, that'll be make you even sadder, unfortunately. So, so Dino, Richie and I were very privileged to talk to John Amici uh, a little while back. Uh, and he said, you know, he's he's tired of this. It's it's glacial. The process, the progress is glacial. Um, so in that context, what what would be your call to action to everybody, the industry, and everybody individually? Not an easy question, but what would you say? Yeah, it's it's, it's not an easy question, and um, but I've had the benefit of, of thinking about it for a long period of time. Uh, you know, there's there's not been any shortage of kind of panels, discussions, and reports, and all the rest of it. So my answer on it is, is really quite quite clear. I think um, I think it has to be taken out of the hands of the people that are you know sitting around the table and deciding the strategy about how to do it. If this was a client brief, I think we would have solved it a long long time ago. Um, I think there's two parts of it. I think that firstly we um, need to just um, demand more transparency on data at every level. So unfortunately, the um, the surveys and the, the things that happen to, to, to my disappointment are not as granular as they need to be. They're not they're not um, showing diversity, you know, um, how it trends throughout organizations, particularly big organizations. Of course, you know, if you're an organization under a certain size, then, you know, the data can be skewed too easily. But you know, an organization with a certain size should be publishing their data transparently so the recruiters know, and the recruiters can tell the people that are applying for the job, this is what the company looks like inside out. You know, so, so, you know, I want people just to know, you know, I want talent, diverse talent to make better decisions in their careers by going to the places that actually care that are moving the dial, that are actually showing progression and have got the people at the top going, you know, I endorse this company, they've been brilliant. Because there are those companies out there, but the problem is that they've been clouded by all the other companies that are claiming to try, claiming to do initiatives, but really just not putting enough time and effort and attention to the details and the areas. I mean, it's all well and good, you know, launching an initiative because you think it might benefit people. But if the results don't improve, then 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 you've got to go for a different plan. And and I think that, you know, another large part of it is about getting um, people at the top, not just thinking at the bottom, not just think about the entry level. You know, when people come into companies, they need to see that there is a path and they need to be inspired by people above who are not just the head of HR or DNI officer, 
they've got to be people in real positions and real jobs in terms of I mean those are not real I mean you know as in that the real functions that influence the what the company produce you know the products of the company so they've got to be sales they've got to be technology they've got to be data or they've got to be chief operating officers whatever it is or strategy um and and I think that the shortcut to that is very easy you know if you, if you can't solve it quickly in your within your own company then get a non-exec director in I mean even even at the top of government you know people somehow managed to move around to take control of departments they've got no no experience of in the slightest <laughs> so uh you know i'm not saying that's a good thing but uh i'm what i'm saying is you can learn from people coming from different industries different places and bringing their expertise to to to, to change things in your organization so a non-exec director at the top is a, is a very simple quick fix um that can help inspire but the other thing i, I would say is that it is changing and what's going to change is you've got the likes of legal in general um who are making investments based upon esg metrics so they're setting their companies hard targets on diversity representation at the highest levels and if they don't achieve those targets they're pulling their financials they're pulling their investments and they're making that public as well more of that is going to make people change just the same way that the environment that we need to you know inc incredibly rapidly change um our concern about you know the climate and what we're doing in terms of media and marketing it's exactly the same way that we've got to change and think about diversity which is make the money do the talking and let the money you know, motivate people to quickly make change um and, and i think that's that's definitely going to happen and I, I know that there's things going on with linkedin as well which haven't really been published yet but in terms of um allowing identity to be revealed in terms of diversity of companies and things like that um allowing people to disclose and offer that information and, and um and i think that will massively change the way companies operate because as I said, you know, once you know, once you can know from the outside in what the company looks like, then you make your decisions. The talent goes to the right places, and the competitive advantage of that business will will, will show and will shine. Well, there's you know certainly some um, great reasons to be optimistic in in what can come across as as quite gloomy data sets. And you really struck a chord when you just said your last comment around the bonus pay gap. So. Uh, I'm both intrigued, but but probably a bit saddened at the same time. It, it really reminds me of a, a conversation we recently had with Cindy Gallup. And uh, she's a wonderful force of nature, wonderful. And she she went uh, quite provocative in nature where she was talking about how people at the top in these industries um, actually have very little incentive to do anything more than talk um, a good game on these things. And, um, you know, when, when advising young people, she was very much of the ilk of, you know, uh, carve your own paths um, and then get bought out by these people. That's where the true value lies. Um, but she was absolutely, you know, headstrong about helping to solve this this big major challenge. Yeah, um, I mean, I mean, Cindy's absolutely brilliant, and everything she says is is absolutely bang on in terms of you know right. And I think that advice is is good advice. I mean, when I started my career, it's not the it's not the advice I was given people at the time when I started my career because of the of the shape of the industry and what it was. You know, we did entrepreneurial things, but there seemed to be a, to some degree, a ceiling um, then. But because of digital media now, in terms of um, everyone looks to young people to be the people that understand that thing better than they do. Um, yeah. the, the, mis the, the mistake that too many um, people make in our industry is become internal managers of people in politics rather than, you know, specialist practitioners of certain things. So I think that uh, young people have that potential advantage, you know, really get stuck in. You know, if you've got time, you can learn new things and those new things become the most important things tomorrow. So um, so absolutely. I mean, there's great examples. I mean, Timothy, you know, Fanbytes, 
great example. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, great yeah. example of you know, and, and there's, there's there's tons of those kind of really good companies that are doing really excellent things, um, which a lot of the time. You know the, the big organizations that we talk about that we work with just aren't even really aware of they aren't really aware of until they read it in the, the ft that they were bought by x company for x million <laughs> because they were doing this well um so yeah it, you definitely can cut your path now it's a lot easier than, than it was before in that sense and i definitely encourage it um it's just we also as a, as a, as people more senior people in the industry need to shine a light on those businesses as well earlier on because some of them just struggle with the exposure and getting in front of people and in a, go, get past that kind of trust barrier, which is really important. So, Dino, the time has whizzed by, and I think we're now at the end for the last question. Um, you, you've brought a reality to this conversation, but also an energy and an optimism. And you, you talk a lot of sense. Um, you're uh, in your prime, loads to look forward to. So I'm keen to understand what, what are you ambitious for, where are you going to take the barber shop? What are you excited about for the for the future? So, so the, the thing that's always excited me about the industry is how much it changes so quickly. Um, you know, and it, it seems like uh, for anyone listening that's not in our industry, it will seem like you know everything's changed so quickly in the last you know few years because of the the weirdness of the world that we live in. Um, but um, but truly, in terms of in our industry. You know, whenever you get to a point where you feel like, okay, I kind of get it and understand it as this as that, then something comes up and completely transforms the thing that was sitting at the top of the tree and very comfortable in that position. You know, and in recent years, you know, you can point to things like TikTok being a good example of, you know, how that's completely come out of nowhere, but just kind of completely stormed the market in terms of what it is, but also the likes of things like Netflix and then suddenly like Netflix now offering advertising and Disney Plus and all sorts and you know, just so many significant things constantly change. So every big organization that we that we have um, in our industry are constantly thinking about, you know, how to stay relevant, how to stay relevant, not die, how to, you know, in, in go to the next thing, the next thing. And the explosion of things like gaming and, you know, um, you know, everyone, like last year, we were talking about the metaverse, which which is, isn't a thing. We're talking about NFTs. We're talking about, you know, blockchain, all these different things. And now, literally over the last couple of months, we're talking about ChatGPT. And it seems like someone has opened the, the, the coffin of AI and everything's come out of it. And it's just like, hang on, where's all this stuff come from? This is incredible. Like, there seems to be AI that solves everything. When we've been, we've been living going, oh, yeah, you know, everyone talks about AI, but how's it really changed this thing I'm doing? How's it really changed this program? And then suddenly, in a very short period of time, it's all falling into place a bit. And we're going, oh, my God, this is going to change everything. This is going to completely change everything. And I think that that is so exciting, exciting slash worrying. A lot of people are worried about the effects it's going to have on marketing, media, creativity. I'm actually really quite excited about it because I think that, you know, the, the most important human skill and rarest commodity is creativity and, you know, and thinking kind of differently around problems. And I think that in a world where there's lots of confusion, I mean, you know, in our business with the barbershop, um, what, what has happened as a result of COVID and, and all the rest is that things have become more unpredictable. It's harder to kind of, you know, forecast, you know, any bit of business and anything in, you know, six to nine months is nearly impossible. But whenever things get worse in terms of, you know, the economy gets worse, the cost of living crisis or, or, or like we had in COVID, what ends up happening is we start to get more calls because people have bigger problems. Suddenly people have to do things differently. And people are looking to not just carry on as, as they were and get their 10% growth every year. They're going, hang on a minute, we're going to lose 20%. We're going to lose 30%. So how, how, what can we do to maintain even or just to make that loss not as significant? And I think people start to appreciate 
alternative models and ways of working. So that at the heart of the, the, the barbershop has always been this idea of agility and working with you know, the best hand, you know, wherever they may be. And um, and while it was um, this kind of concept of you know remoteness and tapping into talent before um, COVID was seen like yeah mm, you know people don't really like to work that way. COVID forced it, and suddenly it's like well of course people work that way. We, you know why why, ha why haven't we been? And what it means now is we can tap, tap into talent around the whole world, but there's also a lot more people that want to work flexibly on their own terms. Um, you know do their hours they want to do around you know taking the kids to school and all these kind of great things that's come up come up off the back of it so we've got access to more talent um but really what my my kind of view is which um um you know I had originally with the, with the barbershop and I want to you know explore a bit more is become a bit more of an enabler for, for for consultants that want to be doing their own thing and um and help facilitate that with the central resources of the barbershop but help to bring in extra different bits of expertise as a you know a one fit in thing to the barbershop, and I call it a kind of like a franchise model, but allowing people to set up and, and start and grow different outposts of the barbershop that always work within our kind of formula and way of working, but bring something new and different to the mix as well. So as an individual, as an entrepreneur, as a, as a consultant, you have that security of well, I can go on holiday. You know, I've got a team that can 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 do some 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 runs and some research and can do some things and can do some hack out handling, some some back end things. But also you've got, you know, you, you've just got a team to brainstorm off and things like that. But ultimately you're running your own business like an entrepreneur and um, and you're benefiting from that. And I, I see that as a global thing as well. So us connecting to more people around the globe in that way. And um, and I love this idea of um, a 24 hour service for a client as well, where we all get to sleep, but we get to pass work on to people we trust and know can, can complete certain tasks and move the job on. Um, and we wake up in the morning and it's like, oh, great. You know, a human probably assisted with AI has uh, has helped me massively in the last seven hours. Oh, Dino, wow. I mean, you know, what what you've probably inadvertently done is express potentially a the new the new sort of global mode of working for so many sort of types of organizations. So so what what a what a way to end the show and and actually with a real thrust of excitement um as the world is is you know ambiguous. But yet, marketers, the marketer's role in that ambiguous world is just super exciting. So, first of all, a massive, massive thank you to you. Um, it's been a tremendous conversation. It really has. I'd like to just recap some of the key themes that I've taken away from, from this in, in just a minute or so. You know, it really struck me that, you know, from the outset, one thing that you wanted to do, and, you, you know, paraphrasing here, is that you always had a dream to do your own thing. And it felt like from an early age, from an early start, you would you were kind of, you know, ebbing and flowing with those entrepreneurial ideas, whether it be from basketball to nightclubs, right through to student magazines and radio. Definitely, you know, marketing was in your blood in that respect. But interestingly, you know, all of the entrepreneurial bit was put a little bit on hold to hone in and, and learn the craft. And in doing so, you interestingly chose people over a potential role. And I find that fascinating. And you know, we always hear about the role of actually choose the right people and you, you leave for your boss, not your company. And I think you really, um, you know, you really did the smart move, particularly because you only happen to choose the, the biggest um, agency as well, which is amazing. But disappointing that it may be, you know, around that sort of not getting any interviews for the creativity. I think we have kind of gone through some of the symptoms and issues that we are facing as an industry. And and both, you know, uh, the, the yin and yang of excitement and being saddened at the same time um as you know as we we do that um you know you you talked about some of the big the big moves the potential big moves widen in kennedy sports boom gaming my god who could have wanted anything better 
um, but also how you know you were able to kind of see past that and actually then you know take on some really big lofty roles, whether it be seven stars um, or Mullen Low, and and you know the, the the way in which you talked about the need to be an MD. Um, and sort of shed the strategic elements and actually get a bit more broad and, and taking on a broader role with, with other departments, um, I think has really rounded you off as you then leaped into that entrepreneurial journey with the barbershop. And um, you described entrepreneurship, I, I think to a T, um, in that there are two types of people in the world, right? It's almost necessity entrepreneurs versus ones who are calmed and collected and then do things um, and have successes because they know their place and they're confident in their place as they go through. Um, I would love to hear the other three book titles from you at some point, um, but Forgettability was absolutely classic, and I think we could all learn a little bit more from that. I've taken that away as a big takeaway from me, and there are a few things that I do need to kind of put in the past, so that's great. Um, a lot around diversity, um, and, and actually the role of psychological safety and making people safe in their role, not just to facilitate people coming in, but actually keeping them there and making them live their own selves and be themselves. I love the analogy with uh, with the gender um, and, and gender in the boardroom as a great analogy for us to think about. Um, you know, the final thing, of course, just around that sort of changing industry landscape and a reason to be positive for all of us as marketers, we're not getting people into a defined pathway. We're actually perhaps the slightly more risky option, but with risk comes reward and with risk comes a great journey to talk of. So, Dino, I, I hope I've done you justice. But it just again from me, just a massive, massive thank you. It really has been an honor.